0: Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets.
1: Welcome to another IRI Growth Insights Podcast. My name is Larry Levin. I'm coming to you today from Beverly Hills, California, and happy to be joined by two esteemed guests, Kim Kircher and Chris Dubois. Kim is uh, a special guest who serves as an award-winning dietitian and president of K2 Outcomes. She has an extensive amount of experience in all things health and wellness and one of the leading uh, dietitians in the Chicago area and uh, throughout the U.S., in addition, Chris Dubois, a senior vice president with IRI and serves as the leader of our protein division. Chris is a regular contributor to our podcast as well as uh, presents quite often at a number of industry events. So, Kim and Chris, welcome. I understand that today in Chicago, you had a little bit of a rude awakening with a little bit of snow here in uh, late October. Seems a little bit early for snow, but uh, I guess as we say in Chicago, or you say in Chicago, that's bear's weather. Kim? Tell us a little bit about what you saw this morning when you got up.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I actually opened up the curtains and looked outside this morning, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's snowing. So there we go. We're entering into that season already.
1: It <laughs> feels like a, a little bit of an early time for winter to hit when we're just midway through fall, but I guess I guess we'll wing it. Uh, Kim, welcome again to the show. It's great to have you here. And, Thank you. And Chris, as always, great to have you. Uh, how's, how's, how was your weekend? And, uh How's how this weather impacting you today?
2: Oh, from my side, weekend was great. That was an easy, easy chance to grill out and enjoy some one of the last easy, easy ways of kind of grilling food without having to go out with a winter coat. But, you know, I, I just find it shocking to go into this uh, winter winter change. It, it changes everything about what you what you want to do outside. So, yeah, that it does. I you um, exercising or anything else? I, I had to laugh
1: because uh, I'm coming to you both from Beverly Hills. And, uh, yeah. of course, the Bears and the Rams are getting ready to play today. And what would be Bears weather if it was a home game for the Bears? But uh, they'll, they'll play in the sunshine of uh, SoFi Stadium. But, um, it's uh, you know, there won't be anybody around, which is, I guess, the uh, situation that we face throughout this whole pandemic is there's no one around. And, and Kim, I guess – with nobody being around, how has that affected the restaurant business and people's creativity for cooking at home? I know our research has shown that, uh, you know, that 50% of Americans are doing 90 to all of their meals at home. So what, what have you seen and, and how, have, how have consumers relied on you to help them cook better and cook more confidently?
0: It's never been a better time to be a nutrition professional because all the stuff that we know is finally what people are asking questions about proactively. So that's kind of the silver lining to all of this. To your point, people are staying home, they're getting back in their kitchens where maybe they haven't ever spent a lot of time, or they're remembering that it's actually really fun to cook for yourself. So it's been really fun to have those conversations either online or in person with people to say, here's how you put a balanced meal together. You're right, it's not that hard. There's lots of different ways to go about it. And I think that's one of my favorite conversations to have is that there is not one right way to accomplish supporting your health and getting in the nutrition that we need. And I think right now, the the relevancy for people from a personal preference perspective is something that retailers, I think, in CPGs can really get on board with and, and think about how do we interact with people now that they're really looking for these solutions from all of us.
1: Right. You know, I, I know Chris and I have spent a lot of time talking to uh, the, the protein industries, and we've always sort of emphasized the importance of bringing learning to the store and teaching people how to cook. In today's virtual environment, that's different. Chris, have you seen various uh, protein companies or retailers really stepping up their game in terms of bringing the consumer along and teaching them how to cook better?
2: Yeah, I, I think back to all the different industry association meetings I've sat in in the last 20 years about how do you help, how do we encourage families to cook more? How do we encourage people to have more meals at home? And But essentially, Larry, like you kind of mentioned, we've erased 10 years of growth in food away at home and, and moved it all the way back to eating at home now. So, uh, we've had a big flip, and it looks like it's going to last for a while. What's been fascinating is retailers have really been using, at least some retailers have really been using, new kinds of technology. So one is one that's what's one that's really been groundbreaking has been the integration of recipes directly into shopping carts. So if a, a consumer is browsing a resume or a, a recipe, they can go direct. You know, they can take that recipe and put that directly into their um, shopping cart. And, and the apps know exactly which store you're shopping at. So it's not even just a generic one. Um, it's very specific in terms of retailers and, and outlets. And I think other, the other thing we've seen is um, something that's just been uh, amazing. Not only just have meat sales soared during the pandemic here, but we've seen fringe categories grow. You know, it can be everything from bison to some of the exotics. Um, consumers are really trying new proteins. And, you know, we've seen uh, proteins that have been dropping or less popular in the past become even more. So the experimentation is real. And, you know, the willingness to try new things is, is real. And it's, it's powerful to see it across the meat case in terms of sales.
1: Yeah. And Chris, have you seen an increase in premium meat sales? Um, when I think about the fact that people can't go to restaurants anymore, now they're able to cook at home? If they can cook confidently, are they investing in premium meats and bringing that restaurant quality home?
2: Yeah, one of the big lessons learned out of the recession of 2008-2009 was uh, consumers will drive to premiumization. We're seeing it a little bit more here. Now, whether that's the result of people missing restaurant meals and they want to create something a little bit better at home and just saying, we'll go for that USDA prime or USDA choice um, type beef cut or maybe a little higher end pork side. Um, people are we're seeing a, a, a good number of consumers step up and, and buy some of those premium meats, and I think it's in direct uh, sort of a direct substitute for the restaurant experience in many ways. So they're trying to bring that restaurant experience into their dining rooms. You know,
1: Kim, one of the things I was wondering about is what when people are reaching out to you and others on and your side of the of the industry, what. Topics are they most interested in? Is it, is there a particular protein, a particular vegetable, a particular way to cook? What, what is on the consumer's mind right now?
0: Yeah, if you can see me nodding and smiling as Chris is talking, there's so many things that we could talk about just from that question and from what Chris said. And when you think about the importance of recipes, I think in my perspective, one way that I look at it is recipes used to be for entertainment purposes. Now they're actually a tool for people. And so all in my years of retail, one of my favorite tips to give our customers was to say, turn over a package and if there's a recipe on that package, whether it's the store brand or it's a national brand, they're not gonna put a recipe on there that's not gonna turn out. So you've got a usually a test kitchen approved recipe. You can actually use that if you're in the store for a shopping list. And all of a sudden, everything that you're talking about, people might be up and down the condiment aisles or some of the urban the spices and buying things that maybe they didn't have in the house because they are trying new things, either out of necessity or curiosity. And the other thing that came to mind as Chris was talking is, if you remember the word staycation, when people were staying at home and vacationing, that's kind of the optimistic lens that you could look at this whole conversation through too because there is a more adventurous side going on, whether that's what's available in the store at the time that they're there or they're trying to recreate that restaurant opportunity where they're like, wow, let's try something new on the menu. Now they're actually doing that at home. So I would say collectively the health and wellness need state conversation is very different because health and wellness starts with proper cooking. And what's the right temperature to make that protein come out right? How do you cook that new vegetable? What's the seasonal thing that we should be pairing with this protein? And what if that protein that we were aiming for is not available? What about boneless or bone-in? So all of a sudden, if you can think of yourself as a problem solver, And thinking through that shopper experience, you can have a whole lot of fun and be very, very successful at the same time, which I think is great.
1: You know, you bring up an interesting point. One of the stats that Chris and I quote all the time is that more than a third of U.S. consumers think food is a better medicine than medicine. That's probably taking shape more now than it ever has. How have you both seen a continued shift in this whole essence of self-care? in the way people are preparing and selecting foods to buy. Kim, we'll start with you.
0: Okay, thanks Larry. So I think that's a very fun conversation as well and a very important one. The way that I like to talk about it from a health perspective is think of your food as important as you do exercise. So you can't replace your medicine nor do we want people to think about that and that's not the spirit of what that phrase means. But as we think about being those problem solvers, whether we're a retailer or, again, a CPG, a health professional, what does that mean for people? There's an interest in taking care of ourselves and understanding what our food is doing to support our health like there hasn't been ever before. So I, I think when you think about that conversation, it's using it in conjunction with the other aspects of lifestyle choices that can really make a difference for you. So food as medicine means food is as important as you've thought about medicine, but they're separate topics and they all work together if you need medicine, so to speak.
1: And and have you seen um, retailers really stepping up their digital game to, bring consumers along teach them the best ways maybe maybe link to various videos that can be on their on their respective websites
0: yes there's a lot of activity going on in the social media and website space and i think there's a lot more attention retailers have historically done a great job providing a lot of content recipes solutions you name it and i think there's an even bigger opportunity for that too when you look at and consider how many people are online shopping Wouldn't it be delightful if you were actually linking to the recipes that you already had for the products that you were selling? So I think some of those moments to really maximize the tools that we've all had and reinvigorate the ability to find them, the ease of finding them would be super helpful for shoppers. And I think they would love that. And I think the other piece of it too, is you look at dietitians like myself who are working for retailers and other companies, all of a sudden you're seeing this wonderful array of opportunities, whether it's a how-to cooking program, it's a virtual shopping tour. There's all these moments where we can't be together but we can be together if we go online. So I think that's the beauty of tools and platforms like we're all using right now is really maximizing that and also remembering that not only are people trying to get out of stores more efficiently than ever before, but when they're shopping online, they might have another browser open and be searching for that on-farm story or be searching for that ingredient list, looking for those recipes. So you've got an opportunity to really show people the tools that we've all been investing in, in a much more efficient way.
1: Yeah, I like where you're going with that. And Chris, building on what Kim was saying, are we seeing an influx in more people wanting to buy local? As people are shopping online and really concerned about their local communities, their local economies, are we seeing even more of an influx towards buying uh, locally produced foods?
2: Yeah, the interest for local and the interest around sustainability are both really there. Um, what we've seen from a data side is probably just a, a growth in, in conventional foods overall, just because of the nature of the pandemic and, and some of the supply issues that, you know, we've seen some of the smaller trends get, get overwhelmed a little bit. But local is still very important underneath. Um, and it, it's driven by both a need for community but it's also a, a trust to some degree that um, there's just a, a halo that goes over kind of that local side, regardless of whether it's organic. It doesn't have to be organic, but there's a trust around local that people have. And it tends to be within about two hours of driving. It's sort of that range yeah. of where I mean, people
1: it. I, I liked where Kim was going with the, you know, the, the fact of, of, you know, building the trust and building the <clears throat> building the confidence Kim, how, how do you see uh, meal delivery services playing an important role in teaching people how to cook, but also bringing them uh, good locally produced foods?
0: Love this conversation from a health and well-being perspective, too, because I worked for farmers for quite some time and I still work with them. And so I really appreciate you bringing this up. And when we think about that interest in local, I like to think of it as a two-tier conversation conversation. There's local, as you're describing it, Chris, and that that regional space, if you will, and supporting your local community directly, which is fantastic. And then the other piece of it is that farmers are local where it makes sense to grow and raise our food. And I always use my super fun example, like I'm in Illinois, I don't see any banana farms here. but we have bananas in the stores. And so when you think about that local conversation, I think one way, especially right now with the interests across the food supply chain, that health and wellbeing space and all five food groups, and we are constantly talking about balance. As we think about the array of choices that we've got in a retail setting right now, in the grocery store, we can honor not only what's local to us, collectively in our own space, but we can think about local farmers because farmers are local to where that food is grown and raised. So to your point about the meal kits, it's kind of a two-tiered thing. If people are not putting in that farmer story right now or talking about the fact that there's all kinds of wonderful things happening on farms of all types and sizes right now. There's an opportunity for storytelling right inside that box, right alongside that recipe, which I think is a critical piece of helping people really have an authentic story of food and nutrition starting on the farm. The second piece from a more traditional health and wellness space is you've really got an opportunity to teach people about portion control And one of the things that I would love to see recipes do is walk people through the entire thing. Let's tell them to wash their hands before they start cooking and after they handle raw proteins. Let's remind them that storage times, once you've prepared that food, you can keep it in the refrigerator for how many days? Can you freeze this particular item? How do you reheat it? What's the proper temperature? What do we do with the leftover ingredients? So I feel like honoring what that food means, means helping people not waste it. And so from a dietitian perspective, historically, we've talked about managing a food budget. That's really what we're talking about here. And then when you've got those portions, this recipe serves four people. Well, if you've got a household of one or two, let's remind them, and it might sound like Captain Obvious, I like to say, but let's remind them and say, hey, this is gonna feed you four times if you're a household of one excellent. Maybe you've got a super busy schedule and that's super helpful to know. So it's pulling the story all the way through that customer experience and that brings local to life and that brings health and wellness to life.
1: I love where you're going with that because one of the things that I spent a lot of time looking at is new product innovation and -hmm. some of the successful innovations from the last recession were all about multi-serve meals. And this is a great example about about multi-serve consumers are trying to stretch their budgets. Um, More than half of consumers have right off the bat said they've seen major price increases. And Mm -hmm. so one way to quote circumvent the major price increases is to show them that these meals can extend beyond one seating occasion. So I think that there's really got to pay, be much more homage to these multi-serve capabilities that these meals bring to them.
0: Absolutely. We're,
1: four weeks away from America's most beloved holiday. I think I can editorialize and call Thanksgiving <laughs> a most beloved holiday. Some of the early research is suggesting that people are going to stay home. And certainly there's a lot of media coverage about the fact that people should stay home. What are you hearing from manufacturers and retailers as consumers get ready for Thanksgiving and stores get ready to stock are you are you hearing any different
2: conversation
1: than we would typically hear?
0: I think there's are – oh, go ahead, Chris.
2: That's okay. Um, I think some of the things we've heard from uh, retailers have been uh, just an awful lot of questions about what we think this looks like because, you know, the, if you think about the walk-up to Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving or week of tends to be one of the biggest days, you know, for that retailer. In other words, the, a lot of consumers will tend to wait. So the how they manage promotions and what they put on sale and at the price becomes a, a big deal. Um, from a manufacturer's side, if you're a turkey processor, you made decisions 30 weeks ago you know, about the life of a turkey, of, of how many turkeys you're going to grow. So there's not a whole lot of opportunity to change it. But what we've heard from the research pretty consistently is Consumers are going to have smaller gatherings. In fact, the amount of big gatherings is just about cut in half. Um, so what that means is the foods change. And as you think about where the protein shift happens, we're hearing more and more that people are looking at chicken as a, as a Thanksgiving opportunity and not, not as much on turkey. In other words, turkey comes down on the passion side. Um, ham is continuing to do well and, and holding, holding up. Um, but I think we'll see some protein shifts Coming in at Thanksgiving and then followed up, of course, by Christmas and New Year's. Smaller gatherings and likely different choices. And I wouldn't be surprised to see premiumization kind of come back into play, especially Christmas, New Year's for the smaller gatherings for people that can afford it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kim, are you starting to hear from consumers uh, who may have not cooked turkey before because they've gone to a restaurant or they've gone to other family gatherings? Is there inquiries happening yet about? how do I cook the best turkey? How do I maximize my meal? I mean, you talk about an opportunity to maximize meals. Turkey certainly plays that that role beautifully.
0: Yep, and I was excited to answer this question because the chatter has already started, to your point, and there are people who are thinking about that, but I also think it's an opportunity for anyone in this space to help people. Historically, we've put out lists of, okay, four weeks ahead of the holiday, you should be doing these things. Three weeks ahead of the holiday, you should be doing these things. This is how many days it takes to thaw that turkey, and this is the safe way to do it. So I think really dusting off those kinds of resources and being very specific about them and starting to put that out there now, because if you are new to the kitchen and you have not hosted Thanksgiving or cooked in your house for a holiday of any size of gathering you need that help and you don't even know what you don't know yet. So I think there's a huge opportunity in that space to help with that thought leadership, if you will. And then the other piece of it is, yeah, people are saying this is going to look different. How do we do it? Well, if you're traditionally making giant portions of food for a giant gathering, is there a shift that you can still do that? And this is how much freezer space you need. And this is what you're going to do with those leftovers. So if you really don't want to alter how you're cooking, Let's help people manage what's left because there's going to be a lot more. How many days can they store it? What can they do with it? What other foods can they buy to serve with it in the the weeks to come? How do you store it safely? So that's a conversation that I think we still need to have. And then from a very optimistic perspective, isn't this a great year to start some new traditions? So to your point about the proteins, it's not that you have to go away from the one that you've always had. But if you find yourself in a space, either out of necessity or desire that you want to try something new, here are some other wonderful side dishes that go with the different proteins. So you could almost put out a chart that says, if you're doing poultry, turkey or chicken, it looks like this. Here's some things that go great with ham. Here's some great things that go with beef. Here's what goes great with a pork loin, like whatever your case may be let's help people understand how that new meal looks that still has a traditional festive feel to it. So there's an opportunity to talk about those kinds of things. There's also an opportunity to talk about exercise. Maybe you're going to go for a walk before dinner or after dinner. You can do that by yourself or with two people or however many. So the, the opportunities are kind of endless, but they need to focus on those action steps for people.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We um we're having some conversations out here in LA about what we were gonna do about Thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. I know that you know, if, if the weather's fifty degrees on Thanksgiving Day in Los Angeles, you don't have your violins out for us in Chicago. <laughs> uh, a lot of people are already talking about maybe doing a late afternoon Thanksgiving rather than an evening Thanksgiving because they wanna be able to capitalize on the weather, you know. Um, and, and actually, Chris, one of the things I wondered about, because, again, you're so well tied into the meat industry, do you think that there will be an influx of sales of turkey breasts this year so that people can buy a you know, a good-sized piece of turkey but not have to buy the full turkey?
2: Yeah, I think we're going to see sales of partial turkeys in that side or smaller ones in particular. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be a nut drain you you may people may buy two. in other words if they have a, you know, a small family gathering but yet they may include one or two others at another point, Thanksgiving may shift a little bit in time frame too. So in other words you may have one small two small gatherings at some point first yeah. one big one. So I would expect a little bit of those not only tricky breasts and legs and things like that to continue to sell even if they sell separately and differently but you you may see a little longer season selling-wise. In other words, I wouldn't expect to see the drop-off immediately after Thanksgiving.
1: You know, one one other thing that just sort of hit me, Thanksgiving has always been a big time for communities to come together and feed the homeless. Kim, have you heard anything about changes in that policy with COVID-19? And I I assume you're pretty well-connected in Chicago with what happens with some of the food kitchens but it just kind of hit me because that's always an important way for us to help people who are less fortunate and now we have a lot more people that are less fortunate in today's economy.
0: Yeah I'm so glad you brought this up because retailers have historically done so much in that space working hand-in-hand CPGs too with the the different food bank systems and infrastructures and I think There's a wonderful time to tell a story and I think sharing what you're doing in that space is a wonderful moment to make people feel good. I think the other thing is there's a lot of people who need help right now that maybe don't even know what help is available. So can we look at our infrastructures and really think through how do we connect our shoppers who need help with the tools and resources that are within their community and nationally available so that they can get the food on the table to feed themselves and their families nutritiously. And I think, to me, that's a really important story. And there are a lot of ways to find out about that. If you're a shopper listening to this or an organization that hasn't thought about that, this is a time where you want to partner with them to tell that story collectively to say, here's the help that's out there. Here's what we're already doing. And if you need help, here's who you contact. And here's how you get in touch with those resources in your area. And I think it's never been a better time to talk about that and really kind of ramp up the communication on that because there's so much need and there's so much good work going on. So communication sometimes is where the innovation can happen. And I talk about that actually regularly. It doesn't have to be a whole new idea Maybe we just need to rethink how we're communicating about it to connect the dots for people.
1: Yeah, that's great. Chris, um, as maybe a more typical consumer in the kitchen than Kim, um, how have you changed your own uh, cooking habits uh, in the pandemic, if at all?
2: Well, I, I think from our side, you know, we, I've gone from having two college-age students around and they were around from early spring to sort of early fall. So we, you know, four people in the house again was a big deal. Um, but from my side, I think we, we've continued to try to cook, um, outside as much as possible, but we've tried a lot of new different kinds of proteins, things we wouldn't have tried. In fact, my wife kind of looked at it as we talked about some of the recipes and she was like, Are you sure you want to try that? But you know we've we've um, we've done a couple of things. One is we've kind of rotated recipes as a family. The kids were there, so everybody had a chance to cook something every week, and they had to plan it and at least get it on. They didn't have to purchase it, but they had to at least get it on the shopping list. So that was you know, the whole, the sides and everything else. So that was a very good experience for a college my college senior who was going to live on her own for the first time because she could cook a few things, but not a whole lot. So there was a lot of learning that went on it was just kind of fascinating hearing it. And then I think the other, the other big thing was just um, learning that we liked a lot more vegetables than we ever imagined. You know, I have to say, we tried a lot of vegetables that were just different and like, you know what, if you can cook a parsnip and it's actually decent, that was a real learning experience for me, and I'm just throwing that one out there because that's that's not a typical asparagus beans or something else that might be on the edge. So we be music to Kim's ears in a lot of ways. All
0: right, too. I'm sitting here cheering for you, Chris. Hooray!
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're not. I mean, I wouldn't go out after them necessarily and say that's top of the list, but you know, if you cook it right, it wasn't that bad.
1: So Chris, well, I'd be remiss to not ask you. In COVID nineteen, what's been the impact of plant based proteins, and has that driven a lot of trial?
2: Yeah, so plant based proteins have gone up. I mean, they've they were a big trend. Their their sales, you know, were were uh, extremely strong, and they've continued to be just really extremely strong. Um, but the funny part is the meat in the, the meat case grew so much that when you look at plant based protein as a percent of the meat case, relative or relative to the meat case that percentage is sort of dead flat. In other words, plant-based proteins had a good year and they'll continue to be a good year or, or they'll continue to be good next year likely, but um, it's, it's not supplanting you know, um, tra- uh, the traditional proteins on that side. So the one thing I, I have noticed is an awful lot of new brands coming in. And I think the big question is going to be which ones stay, you know, which brands really develop long-term um, because the category is not going away. But there there, probably won't be all the brands that today, um, yeah, three to four years from now.
1: Kim, are you seeing consumers reaching out to you to ask, what's the best way for me to cook a plant-based protein? What kind of creativity could I use to maximize my purchase?
0: Honestly, I'm not getting that question. However, I would agree that there's a lot more interest across all categories to try new things, again, out of necessity or curiosity. And so one of the things that I would suggest for anybody listening to this is to think of reinvigorating the use of the word option instead of alternative. And it might sound like a little bit of a nuance, but I think it's an important one. And I think it opens the door for us to understand when you're cooking at home for yourself, two, three meals a day, every day, all the time, you're going to want to try new things. And that doesn't mean that you don't like the other thing. It just means you want to have that variety. And from a nutrition perspective, that's fantastic too. And then I would add on to what Chris was saying earlier. It's a great time for us to reinvigorate the conversation about dried, canned, frozen, and fresh, because when you're minimizing your trips or your times between trip is longer, you're minimizing your trips to the store there are these fresh, wonderful, convenient options that come in a can, that come in a freezer case, and that extends your ability to have those balanced meals. So, again, the word option. Let's teach people across the store. You've got wonderful variety. And I think helping people feel good about all of those options, getting ahead of that conversation and addressing any concerns that they might have had in the past. Now's the time to do that, to reset that conversation.
1: Well, speaking of resetting conversations, this has been an amazing conversation. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed our half an hour discussion. And I think both Kim and Chris, you have set the table for important considerations for holiday and, and just the way the U.S. consumer eats in general. I really want to thank you both for the time, and I would love to invite you back for another conversation and continue the dialogue because I think it's something that manufacturers, retailers, and consumers can all benefit for. So on that note, I do apologize for the snow in Chicago. Thank
2: yeah, you. <laughs> I do
1: apologize for the fact that our weather out here in L.A. is, is beautiful. But uh, on that note, I definitely want to thank you both Have a safe holiday, and I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Take care, guys.
0: You too. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com. And connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.